I believe this, more prayer, more power. More prayer, more power. God, using your life to pray and ask God to seek and, and seek God and don't give up. We have seen recently the power of prayer in many, many lives and in our nation. We must continue, especially what Jesus gave us to do in a command that we're going to see here this morning. But Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 12, if you would please stand uh, for the reading of God's word. And, um, and we'll start there, but our main text is 13, but I kind of want to give you the, the, the context. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He said, it is written. He said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna, son of David, they were joyful. Just kidding. They were indignant. Do you not, did you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you ever read from the lips of children and infants? You have ordained praise. And he left them and went out of the city of Bethany where he spent the night. Father, again in these moments, Lord, I pray that, Lord, your word will come alive in our hearts and that, God, that you will remind us again and show us, God, what we are to be about and that God where we gather where two or three are gathered in your name there you are among us that we will know that when we come together one of the greatest aspects of worship is prayer in Jesus name amen it has been said that one of the factors of a dying church listen carefully that one of the factors of a dying church is a church that ceases to pray. One of the factors of a dying church, a church that is one day very close and it may be in the next five to ten years will shut its doors. One of the major reasons is that it's a church that has ceased to pray. To pray privately, but also to pray corporately. Today I want to share with you the title of the message is God's House. God's house. And scriptures from this passage correlate with this. And I want to show you just for a moment where Jesus, where he said, he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You know, it didn't say a house of preaching. It didn't say a house of singing. He said a house of prayer. But in reality, a house of prayer is a house of worship, a house of singing, but also where most importantly, where we communicate to God. So Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. It is the central place of prayer. But now that we are in the New Testament, we are called the temple of God. In, in, in the New Testament, our bodies said, do you not know that your body is the temple of God? Therefore, God resides in us. But when we come together as a corporate family, and why I've shared this morning that we have a family prayer time and that we're committed to pray for our nation, our country, our city, we need to be people of, continue to be a people of prayer. 
Prayer brings peace. Prayer brings joy. Prayer brings love. Prayer brings order. Prayer does not lead to chaos. Prayer allows us to trust God and shows us to trust Him, and it changes our lives. So let me share with you just a moment. If you got your Bible, I want to show you where Jesus said this in, in the Old Testament. Turn to Isaiah chapter 56 for a moment. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. Because Jesus was repeating to them as, they, as, as the people were buying and selling in the temple area. And I've got a word for us today, uh, how we desecrate the, the holy house of God. When we come together, it's more than just the money and, and, the, and the selling. I want us to, I'm going to give you a word today on what really messes up the, fa- the house of God here in just a moment. But let me show you from the Old Testament, because I just wanted to show you, uh, Isaiah 56, verse 7. Where did Jesus get this? As he quit, but he quoted the Old Testament. And he said, he quoted this out of Isaiah, Isaiah 56, verse 7. And it says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now turn over to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 7, the next book over. Jeremiah chapter 7 Verse 11, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. This is where the passage, where even where the Pharisees and the chief priests fulfilled Old Testament scripture when they were buying and selling there in the temple. Look at this for a moment. He says, verse 11, has has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. And then one more, then one more. Turn to Joshua, turn to Joshua, chapter 24, verse 15. You know, it's, that, that word house is a very interesting word. And since we meet corporately as a house, so to speak, where we meet here and other areas, wherever two or three are gathering in his name, there I am among you. That is a, quote, a house where it'd be a house of prayer. But Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. I love this verse. And he says here in verse 15, the very last part of the verse, but as for me and my household, we will serve. The Lord. God's house. A house of prayer. A house that serves the Lord. That is what I desire my house to be. My household, my wife, my two boys. That was, look at this passage. And Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We have a responsibility to teach our families, to teach our children that God's house is a house of prayer. The central place of prayer. And let me break this down for you in three simple aspects. Number one is this. Here in this passage, Jesus said this. Again, look, go back to Matthew 21, verse 13. Flip back over to that. And he says, he says, my house, he said, excuse me, he said, it is written. He said to them, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He said to them, in other words, number one is this. You and I have direct access to God's presence. Let me remind you again. You and I have direct access, point number one, to God's presence. 
That's why he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And if you were here last Sunday, we were in John chapter 17, and we talked about what it meant to talk with God and how to pray. But you and I have direct access to God. Nothing can hinder you from having access to God when you are in a relationship with God. This past week, I went and ate lunch at a restaurant down in Madison. And as I walked in, as I walked in, there were, it was really busy. And I thought, you know, I'm going to have to, I didn't say a word to anybody. I just thought to myself, I'm going to have to, it's going to take a while. There are a lot of people in here. And I just, man, I, I would love, hopefully I can get a seat. Well, the lady asked, uh, how many is in your party? I said, one. Well, good. We have a place here at the bar for you. You can sit there. And I said, ma'am, I really don't think that would be good for me, so I'll, I'll pass on that. I'm not being funny. I'm just saying I just, I just didn't feel comfortable sitting at the bar. Uh, somebody, I just because if I did, I know some church member would walk in and see and then come here on Sunday and tell you I was at a bar this past week. But I didn't feel comfortable with that, and I said I'll wait. Well, the manager of the store, who is also uh, um, here in Canton, and uh, his children go to Canton Academy, saw him just last night. He walks up to me, and he says, follow me. I've got a seat for you. I didn't say a word to him. He just knew who I was. I knew who he was. I said, hello, how you doing? He said, man, you follow me, and I will give you a seat. Had no, he didn't have any idea of the conversation that we just, I just had with the lady. Nothing. He said, you come with me. What was he saying? You come with me, and you've got direct access to sit down at a table. There'll be a server here in just a moment, and he or she will take care of you. My dear friend, I want you to know this. Through just a simple eating illustration like that, it reminded me that you and I, listen, you and I have direct access. Didn't have to wait. Didn't have to go through another person. He showed me, come have a seat, brother guy. Man, we'll take care of you. And man, Hitler, we'll have somebody here in just a moment for you. Man, I just, I, I didn't deserve it. I just, but I felt like I was treated great because of the person that was there and who I knew. Listen, one day you and I, by the way, you and I, when as a Christian, God's not going, God's going to say, come home. Hey, you come here with me. You come here with me. You come to glory. You don't have to listen. You have direct access to God because of that relationship with Jesus Christ. You and I have, ex, have access to God immediately. And we certainly have access to God infinitely and intimately. We have access to God. And let me show you this here in Scripture. Turn to Psalm chapter, 24, Psalm chapter 27 for a moment. Psalm chapter 27. Psalm chapter 27, verse 4. Psalm chapter 27, we have direct access to God. And the psalmist got it right here in this verse. He always gets it right because it's God's word. But he says here in Psalm chapter 27, in verse 4, this is what he said. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Now flip over to Psalm 121 for a moment. Psalm 121, verse 1. Psalm 121, verse 1, says this. I will lift up my eyes to the hill. Where does my help come from? 
I will lift up my eyes. I have direct access to God that when I call upon him in prayer, when I seek him, I have direct access to him. And he says, I was glad when I went to the house of the Lord. And let me show you once again how this is possible. If you recall, Jesus here at this point was in the temple. And Jesus was in the temple area. And these these thieves or these so-called chief priests, they were buying and selling. They were desecrating the Lord's house. But in Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, we have this to share about how we have direct access and that we must be careful what we allow into our temple, our body. And as we seek the Lord, as we seek him, he has one priority. Matthew, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, 1 through 14. Listen carefully because this is how, this spells it out, how you and I have direct access to God. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. That's where Jesus was when he was in the temple, that area, in that context in Matthew. He was at the earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a place called the most holy place, the holy of holies. What happened to the what what happened to the um, to the uh, to the um, tent or the tent the uh, the curtain? What happened to the curtain when Jesus died on the cross? What happened to the curtain in the temple? It rent from top to bottom, right? It tore down. That was the that was the curtain that tore down. What was it a symbol of? Why did it happen? Because once Jesus rose again from the dead through his death, burial, and resurrection, you and I would never have to go through another person, high priest, to get to God. That's why that template curtain was rent from top to bottom. Because it was the old way was out and the new way was in. Continue reading here. It says, behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, the Holy of Holies, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But he cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. In other words, once a year, you and I, of of the people of, of Israel, would bring, the children of Israel would bring an altar of sacrifice, a lamb, a spotless lamb, and they would give that to the priest. The priest would butcher it, and the blood would be shed for their sins once a year. And he says, uh, but but only the high priest entered the inner room. And that only for once a year, never without blood. By the way, again, let me remind you this because I'm fascinated with this. Whenever the priest, the only one that could go into the most holy of holies would be the priest. They would tie a rope around his ankle. I know I've shared this before, but this is really fascinating to me. And it really humbles me and it scares me because I'm glad I don't have to do this today. But he would wear, he'd have something tied around his ankle. And it would be like a little rope. And when he walked into that holy of holy places, that rope would be long enough where those outside, in case something happened to him, dying in the presence of God, if he went in that room without being in the right place with God, he would die. And they would pull him out. He had a bell on. And if that bell ever quits ringing, it was doomed. That guy had passed. 
And so that's why it said that he would enter the room once for all and never without blood. He would always take what was supposed to be done that God outlined in the Old Testament. He would take that back there for the sacrifice for the people once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. Verse 9, this is an illustration for the present time indicating that gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Verse 11, when Christ came as high priest, the good things that are already here He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. This is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood and goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all for his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. My dear friend, you and I, through you and I have direct access to God. That is why that you can't do anything to earn salvation. It is all by God's act, but you and I have access to God and pray to him and can go to him anytime, anywhere because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Man, I'm honored. I'm grateful. I'm humbled that we have access to God's presence because of what Jesus did. You and I don't have to be ashamed. You and I don't ever feel like I talked about last week. You and I don't ever have to feel like I can never approach God. There are those that beat themselves up. I can never approach God because I'm too dirty. He would never listen to me. He Listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you may stray away from God. You may ease away from God. It's you that do the moving. But I can tell you this. God never moves. But my dear friend, when you come to God and get right with him, you can get back into that right relationship, that fellowship with God. And there's nothing that can take that away. But also, don't sell yourself short. Well, I, can, I can't pray like other people pray. Listen, you're not praying for other people. You are praying before Almighty God. And God's not up there sitting in some white robe with gray hair over his head like this with a billy club in his hand ready to bop you over the head. He's there saying, come talk to me. Come have fellowship with me. We have direct access to God. Number two is direct dialogue in God's presence. Direct dialogue. You can talk to God about anything. Turn to 1 Kings for a moment. 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. You and I can have direct dialogue. Look, it doesn't have to be something fancy. You talk to God. You talk to Him. He's Almighty God. You show the love and respect to Him and humble yourselves before Him. He's not going to kick you out. But in 1 Kings chapter 8... Verses 28 through 30. Verses 28. Look into what Solomon says here just for a moment. He says this, Yet give attention to your servant's prayer. Listen to how he prayed to God. He just said, he said something like this, give, give, Yet give attention, Lord, to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. 
May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Real simply, you and I, when we go before God, we can dialogue with him 24-7. But the real issue is, is do we really spend that much time praying for him or praying to him? You and I, we have direct access. We have direct dialogue. We don't have to go through anyone. We don't have to tell God. And sometimes it's funny when people, I remember um, several weeks ago, um, I was at a, at a uh, baseball meeting. And several of the guys were talking about usually what's going to happen when baseball season comes. You know, it's, it's going to be cold and it's going to be wet in February. I mean, sometimes that's what happens. And one of the guys said, could you communicate to the man upstairs for us? that it would not rain and be wet during baseball season. My response was this. Look, I don't have to tell him that. Why? Because you can pray that. Oh, but you, 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 you as a preacher, you, you, you have direct access to him. <laughs> not like I have some better, some better access to God or something. No, no. You as a child of God, you as a believer in Christ, have direct dialogue with God and pray to him. Because I know what he was saying. Your prayers are better than mine. No, they're not. It's not a matter of who prays the best. It's the what? The heart. Number three, look for a moment back at the negative side of what happened in the temple. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money and then you know what he said again, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. God's temple, which we are here and which we are, which we are ourselves and while we meet together, is, was a place of worship, quiet meditation, contemplation, praise, enthusiasm, devotion, a place where God's people could draw close to him and worship and in that day, sacrifice and offerings and could seek his will and blessing. But these people, these men, that the chief priest that the Bible says, the teachers of the law, they were polluting God's house. They were polluting it by doing what they weren't supposed to be doing. They weren't there for the main reason. And that is to pray and to seek God. But you know what? We as people coming together for worship, I want to share with you some ways of how we pollute God's house. Before I do, turn over to Matthew chapter 15. One more passage of Scripture, and I'm going to share this, and we'll be done. Matthew chapter 15, and number three, downright disrespect of God's house. When God's house, this is how we can sometimes disrespect it. But in Matthew chapter 15, 8 and 9, says this. Jesus even said in verse 7, and this shakes me to the core because sometimes even as a pastor I could possibly commit hypocrisy when I stand here behind this pulpit and am not ready to preach the word of God. It says, you hypocrites, verse 7, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Here are some ways that we pollute God's house. Our attitude. 
our attitude. When we come together and worship together corporately, our attitude, what's our attitude like when we come in here? Our hearts, are our hearts ready? Are our hearts, on, are our hearts and our mouths, you know, our hearts and our minds, are they, are they on other things besides the main thing? I know we like to talk and fellowship. That's what we're made to do. But sometimes we may pollute the God, God's house with our attitude, a rotten attitude, a heart that's hard and callous, our mouths. We may say something to someone because, our, because our, our, our hearts aren't right. We come into church, and like I said, you know, we have guests and people that come into this place, and, and it, but it shouldn't be just all about our guests. About, it's about us. We walk in, and what, what, what do we say? Do we cut someone down? Do we, you know, our mouths, our mouths. Read the book of James, and you'll see what the tongue is like. That's the way we pollute God's house. Our uncleanness, fake worship, false worship. Anger, bitterness, selfishness, entitlement, getting our wants. You know, all of those things get in the way and it desecrates the house of God. But praise God for God's sovereignty and His grace that He looks at us through the eyes of Jesus. God's people must have God's heart when it comes to His presence. You see, that's why prayer is so important. Prayer doesn't necessarily change God. Prayer changes us. <laughs> prayer changes us. I meet with several staff members every week, and we pray together. I meet with Lori every day. I meet with her, and we pray. We pray. I meet with others and we pray about what we're going through, everything, because if we're not careful, we can get sidetracked when we look at material things versus the main thing. So I'm calling you, and again, in a couple more weeks we'll be continuing this series, but I'm calling us now to pray, to pray for our church, to pray for our country, to pray for our people, to pray, be on our hands and knees until we go home. We are to be people of and you can talk to God anywhere, anytime. My dear friend, the Bible says he's there. He's there to listen. He's there to listen. Let's pray together.